This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. In the social media world, we are not far continuously from at least a loose connection um, from people long ago in our lives. I wake up this morning, so you can tell this is a little bit of deviation from the sermon notes already. Um, And online, uh, at least a little bit more than acquaintance, sort of a friend uh, from high school found their way online. Um, She found herself in the news for the worst of reasons. Uh, She was arrested outside of a Walmart. Um, She had shoplifted two things. All the items um, that make methamphetamines, uh, the possession of which is illegal, and shoes for her one-year-old. Now, that should have some immediate impact in our hearts that both of those are going on for her right now, uh, the making of meth and somehow putting shoes on her one-year-old. Uh, an incredibly sad story. Now, Facebook reality is not reality. It's never reality. It's the presentation of the reality we want, but it's not reality. However, over the course of being on there or seeing what's happening over the course of six or seven years, you find out what the presentation of reality is wanted by that person. Make sense? So if it's beautiful and glamorous, what you want to present is that. But sometimes you just present the opposite. Uh, in interacting only online uh, with this friend, um, I notice three things that are in danger, and I will list them as presence, wisdom, and knowledge, which we're going to find fleshed out in a minute in our, pa- in our passage. But um, presence is uh, who do you spend your time with? Who's with you? Wisdom is what wisdom are you exercising? And knowledge, which is a little different presence, is uh, who do you know? Who do you know? And when I look at my friends over the course of the last few years, I see danger in presence. I see a lack of exercise of wisdom. And I knew those dudes back in junior high. And nothing's changed. And I have just great sorrow to see what's happened to her. This week in John 8, Jesus is going to tell us that by faith in him, we are gifted with the light of life. And scripture has defined very clearly for us that the light of life is the gift of the Holy Spirit that any person receives when they cry out in faith in Jesus Christ. So if you have or are considering having faith in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, 
What is accompanied that forgiveness is the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the light of life. And what accompanies that is his presence, his wisdom, and the knowledge of God. Now, what we're going to do this week is we're going to try to answer this very simple question, though it could take us a lifetime to understand. What does it mean to have the light of life? What does it mean for you and for me and as a people to have, to possess, to own the light of life, the Holy Spirit? A huge question that's not going to be handled in all its facets in 30 or 40 minutes. But I want us to understand it in this three ways. Presence, wisdom, and knowledge. And that is what Jesus is going to detail for us in John 8. That possessing the light of light means that you have presence, wisdom, and knowledge. So towards that end, I'd like for us to read John 8. We're going to read John 8. Verses 12 through 19. What I'd like for us is to stand. Let's read back to that, that which is true, the gifted scriptures. In it, this will be an act of worship. It will also begin to shape our heart to understand that which we're getting ready to walk through. Begin reading with me at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from, where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge... My judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. It is in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Let's be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. You guys did a good job reading all at the same time. Sometimes we sound like everyone started the record, or excuse me, the CD or the MP3 at different spots, however that works for you. Good job. Let me tell you where we've been. John 7 and John 8 has been about Jesus answering the question, who are you? We found out that his, his brothers don't believe in him. Some people think he's leading everyone astray. Some people think he's a good man. Some people think he's demon-possessed. There are fights among the, the everyday man all the way up to the religious authorities, the Pharisees. Last week, uh, we saw Jeremy do a great job of looking at that very controversial passage in John 8. It's a passage in the middle there of John 8 that's intended for help us to understand uh, that judgment is not ours but God. Uh, that we are not to look at others and judge them, but we're first to judge ourselves rightly. And that judge not lest you be judged is a picture of the transformative work that God intends for your heart when you find grace, a desire to see grace poured out and not judgment. I encourage you to pursue Jeremy's sermon online. So now what John does is it plops us right back into that interaction with people who are like, who are you, Jesus? And he wants to make things very, very clear. So, again, let's begin. We're going to try to understand this presence, 
that comes when we try to understand what does it mean to have the light of life. Let me read verse 12 again to you. And Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, This is a clear understanding of the presence of God that is ours when we cry out in faith in him. First of all, Jesus letting us know he is the light of the world. And if you follow him, you're not going to walk in darkness, but you have the light of life. Way back in John 3... Uh, we heard Jesus say this, that walking in darkness is walking in a habitual and continual pattern of sin that we constantly fight both in our hearts and in this world. So this is about living the life that comes by faith in Jesus. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, that great pastor, once said, we can't just enjoy the crown on Jesus' head and try to take the scepter from his hand at the same time. The king who calls us also calls us to live in light of who he is. So by faith in Jesus, when we follow the light of the world, we will be walking out of darkness. And one of the ways that we will enjoy that is that the very presence of God will live in our hearts called the light of life. John 7, excuse me, beginning in John 8, we were told that the Holy Spirit is the light of life. That is God's gifting to you. Take the imagery of walking in darkness. Some of you must have no light when you sleep. None. You've got those shades that block out all light, and you want a pitch black room, and then you try to walk in that room and not turn a light on. Now, you know the blind maze that's in your room. You know it's about four or five steps and then you got to turn right around the bed, and then what for some reason, and you're going to use your phone if you've got it, but if not, you're walking through the room. And that typically ends with one of two things. You tripping and falling, which would be hilarious. Uh, maybe you stub your foot, or you wake up the person you're trying not to wake up. And they're like, what are you doing? All right, that's a picture in a small way of what it looks like to live this life without Jesus. You're walking in absolute darkness with no light to guide your way. And walking in darkness is living in the enslavement of sin that is ours if we don't have faith in Jesus Christ. And he's telling you, I am the light of this world. I will guide you out of that in what Scripture calls a clear path in which we can follow. For some reason, hearts love the darkness. So, what do we need to do that in such a way that's pleasing to God, we need to possess the light of life. And so by faith in Jesus, you're not left on your own once you are forgiven. You are gifted with the Holy Spirit. You have the presence of God living in your life. And the presence of God is going to do just innumerable things. You can read the Bible and it can make sense to you. It will illuminate the scriptures. You see all this imagery? Of the light, you can read it and there's a light on it instead of trying to read it in a dark room. Jesus will light your path, call you out a life of darkness because God himself lives within your heart the light of life. We aren't going to obey unless we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We aren't going to, we, excuse me, we are going to continue in sin that enslaves us unless we have the light of life. And I began to think, what, 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 what facet could I focus on 
for us as a church that would illuminate for us. Because the possession of the Holy Spirit, I mean, there's a, the myriad of every picture of the Christian life. I could offer that to you as an example, but here's the one I've chosen. I, as a church that's creeping towards three years old, so we're almost a toddler, we've been gifted with a very peaceful church. But after a while, we've been around long enough to kind of irritate each other. We know folks' patterns. We know people's personalities. And what that's going to do, it's it's going to begin to walk us towards conflict. So in light of the fact that I know conflict happens and that it's going to happen, I would offer this illustration in light of the light of life living in your heart. And I've been given permission to give this illustration to you. Amy and I, thank you guys, were able to get away last week to go to a funeral. And it was a funeral of a wonderful man, godly man, uh, with four children. Um, and he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, a little over four years ago. In fact, he died just a little over a week before the four-year diagnosis, which is what typically happens. ALS eventually just renders you inert. But fortunately, he was able to speak right before he passed. Now, right around the time of that diagnosis, he and one of his daughters hit in a conflict. I mean, it was, this isn't a you can't wear that out of the house. I mean, it was conflict. So much so that either she left or she was told, find another place. However, the story is told as an 18-year-old. And that is heartbreaking. I can't fathom it. I've seen it. I pray to God I don't experience it. But in this most difficult time of life, people dug in. And so over the course of those three or four years, you got a picture of their life that didn't include her. And so he passes. And the first thought that crossed my name is mine is, oh, dear God, please let some reconciliation have happened or let it happen. So we were at the funeral, and we were sitting on the back row, and we're praying, like, dear God, let her walk in this door, please, because we don't know anything. And she walked in the door, and she wasn't sitting with the family, and we leapt out of our seats. It's not really funeral decorum. And ran to her and gave her a hug, and all we could say was, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. And she walked up to just speak to the family, and they scooted over and got a seat for her, and she sat with the family. And then when they went up to the stage to speak, they brought her up there and she stood with the family. And then when the funeral procession happened and they went out to stand and greet folks, she stood with the family. And they're like, dear God, just that moment is sweet. Just that moment to say, to set aside those differences. But I got a little bit more for you. As Amy and I got to the line and we went to hug the, the sweet, faithful wife, she said, our daughter showed up two weeks ago out of nowhere. And the husband and the daughter both said, I am sorry. Confession and repentance and restoration began. I'm not going to tell you we're done here. And two weeks later, he passed. Now, here's why I tell you that story. The central hope of that family and the central hope of us who knew them was what? that the Holy Spirit resided in both their hearts. The light of life was present. So believers, 
Oh, we can get into those conflicts. We can decide, well, that person will just never, ever say I'm sorry. That person will just, and we'll just confine them to our own definition and bitterness. But the central hope was we're dealing with people who claim faith in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit works in the life of people who claim Jesus. Even if only one of them had faith in Jesus, you could hope that God would do something. Because he works in the life of those who have faith. I tell you that because reconciliation is possible. No matter how we determine that person is stubborn or got problems or have hurt us, forgiveness and reconciliation is possible because you possess the presence of God himself in your heart. And I think as those who have faith in Jesus, we need to begin acting the part. Walking out of darkness and saying, I possess the Holy Spirit in my heart. They do or they don't. But I've been given that, and my hope is not myself, as we talked about in time of repentance, but the presence of God in my life. That is just one of a myriad of examples I could have given us that God intends for a transformative, ongoing work to take place in our lives because he's not only forgiven you, he's gifted you with the very presence of of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the light of life, your hope is yourself or some act of blind providence. But if you do have the light of life, you have every hope that God is at work in your life and can or will be in working in the life of someone else. What does it mean to have the life of light, light of life? It means we have the very presence of God. But it's more than that. That's enough. But the light of life means we have the presence of God. But we also have wisdom. We have presence. We have wisdom. Let's talk about wisdom. Let me reread verses 13 through 18. The Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. Judge no, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Here's the central argument going on here. Up until Jesus' presence, the Pharisees were the, were the big dog on campus. They were the ones who decided who was in or out. In fact, if you want to use the language, they're the ones who decided who was walking in the light and who wasn't. And the reason and the basis for that for them was, are you measuring up the to-dos of Scripture and all the extra to-dos we've created? And their basis of authority and power was, we are, and we will decide whether you are. And then Jesus shows up and doesn't say that obedience is irrelevant, but he says what is relevant is do you have faith in me? Do you have faith in me? Have faith in me? I'll walk you out of darkness. Have faith in me. And Jesus is offering this unconditional relationship with God, and these guys are upset about it. 
their relationship with God was completely conditional. So they say, you aren't true because you are bearing witness about yourself. All we have is your testimony. You can be making all this up. And scripture bears that out. Deuteronomy 5 says, the testimony of one person can't be counted. Testimony of two is. So they were correct, right? Jesus says, listen, you know what? I can bear witness by myself. You want to know why? Because the Father bears witness with me. You should listen to my testimony because God is testifying the exact same thing. That's why I'm here. Now, that's what's going on there. What's going on here for us? How does that give us access and wisdom? So you have the light of life. So what we need to understand is the testimony of God. First, what wisdom do you have about God's testimony of you? We go, well, I'm a helpless sinner without his help. That's right. But I have all access and presence of God by the light of life, right? Well, how am I supposed to do this world? And then you have the scriptures to do it. You have access to all wisdom about God's testimony about himself and about you. And through the light of life, you have the wisdom to live it out. Oh, we so often don't take the opportunity to access that wisdom. Oh, we don't. It's not a, uh, it's not a, um, uh, a manual to put something together because most of us wouldn't read it. Um, it's not the to-do list of acceptance by God. It is God's gracious testimony about himself and his gracious testimony to you. Let's use our prior example, okay? Let's use the prior example about reconciliation when two people are in conflict. Let's tie the theme here together. What wisdom did God give you in the fact that you have the light of life towards reconciliation? Well, we know what? A lot of conflicts wouldn't even happen if we took the advice, or actually not the advice, the command of Philippians 2, which says, consider everyone else more important and more significant than yourself. (laughs) I mean, so that means you, you, first of all, before conflict even happens, we walk around, Looking at others and going, more important, more significant, more important, more significant. And that humility crushes us. Because we desire, especially when we're right, to be more important and more significant. If we live that out, conflict will show up, I promise you. Conflict will show up because when we demand we're right and we stay in it and we avoid relationships because we are saying, I am more important and I am more significant than you. But then we need wisdom to walk out of that muck, right? Matthew 18 says, tell you what, go sit and talk to that person. Go sit and talk to them. If they are a believer... You've got the trust that the Holy Spirit's working in their life. Go sit and talk to them. And you go, they're not going to listen. That's not up for you. What's up for you is to exercise the wisdom and obedience to Scripture, and you let God deal on the other end. Then you come back and say, they didn't listen anyway. Like, great, Matthew 18 says, grab someone else. You need a, you need a third person to hear you two in the same room. And you're like, Gordon, that didn't work either. And it's like, great. At that point in time, you probably need a larger council of wisdom. And scriptures say, we'll bring them to the elders of the church. We'll walk through it. You see all the uh, presence of the light of life in that situation? You, the person you're in conflict with, a third party, and then the elders. That's a lot of people who have the presence of the light of life to help walk you out of conflict with that person. 
And then 1 Thessalonians 1 says that God, with the Holy Spirit, will give power to your obedience. And the next EG group, that's going to be the passage that we look at. 1 Thessalonians 1 says the Holy Spirit gifts your obedience with power. So if you go, that relationship is unbreakable. I mean, it's in, it will not be fixed. Well, the first reason it's not being fixed is because you're not obeying. God's not going to bless your disobedience. But he will give power to your obedience to mend that relationship. And the hope we have on this basis is what? We have faith in Jesus Christ and the light of life living within you. We have wisdom and we have presence. These guys were like, you're just bearing witness about yourself. And he's like, no, I have the testimony of the Father. And the testimony of the Father bears witness about me. We have the testimony of the Father about us and the testimony about Christ and the scriptures to guide us. But we're not done yet. We've got the light of life being presence and we have wisdom. Now we need to understand knowledge. Presence, wisdom, and knowledge. And by knowledge, I mean an intimate knowing. I'm not talking about a list of facts. We dealt with that in wisdom. So you've got presence, you've got wisdom, now you've got knowledge or knowing and being known, if that helps you. Look at verse 19. They said to them, who is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. You see how the knowing and being known is there? These guys are so literal, it is ridiculous. Where's your father? They're asking for Joseph. Uh, the godly man that God chose to help raise Jesus. Where is he? If you're talking about your father testifying about you. And Jesus is like, you don't know my father. Because if you knew me, you would know him. If you know Jesus, the son of God, the savior, you know the heavenly father. You see the intimate relationship there between Knowing Jesus, knowing the Father, and being known. Uh, there's a commercial on TV right now. It's a Sports Center commercial for ESPN. I think it's probably Sports Center is probably enough of our cultural language. Now, and this guy walks into his frat house, and he walks into the living room, and there's this gushy couple watching a little romantic movie. So he quickly walks out. He goes upstairs, and there's a bunch of dudes playing video games, and he turns around and walks out. Uh, his room, he can't use his room. Someone's using his room. And he crawls out the window, gets on the ledge, gets his iPad out, and watches Sports Center. The language of that is, Sports Center will always be there for you. You'll always have Sports Center. Guys, there's nothing worse than feeling invisible. Feeling invisible feels like no one knows you. Feeling invisible is in the midst of a group of people feeling desperately alone. And we will not always have someone in the room with us. But we've been gifted with the presence of the Holy Spirit, which means you are known by God and you know him. Which means even in the midst of desperate Aloneness, solitude, <laughs> you are known. God gifts us with the church. Sin for us to have someone part of this church and we don't know them, of which we continue to strive for better as a church. But that the basis of your faith in Jesus 
Jesus says, you know God, God knows you. We're not dealing with things that are just kind of out there like I wish I could understand it. No, we're dealing with intimacy. And the light of life provides that for us. Jesus explains that later on. Let me read John 16. Who knows when we get John 16, maybe a year ago, a year from this time right here. Jesus is telling them again, I'm going to leave. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to my heavenly father. You can't go with me. And these guys are like, we've been with you. I didn't, I don't have a job to go back to Jesus. I've left everything for you. What does it mean? And Jesus explains it in this way. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The spirit of truth being the light of light, the Holy Spirit. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All three of those are in that passage. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is being gifted to you, the spirit of truth. You have wisdom. He will bring all truth and share with you what Jesus has said, and you will be known. He's going to take what's mine and declare it to you. Guys, the spirit of truth, the light of life, the Holy Spirit, is the intimacy of God. And it is ours, and you don't have to work for it. Today, you're not saying, oh, I wish I had the spirit of truth. If you have faith in Jesus, it is yours. If you don't have faith in Jesus, walk with me in crying out in repentance and faith. And when you know Jesus Christ, you will never be alone again. In fact, you will have the most intimate relationship that is possible, more intimate even than you will have here. Guys, think about this. Jesus is promising us and them the presence of God himself, Wisdom to live this life and knowing and being known. What that should do, according to this passage, is we will live in light of and under the influence of the Holy Spirit. No matter where you go, you are yielding the influence of the Holy Spirit. In your workplace and in conversations. And I will say that it's high time we start exerting the influence of the Holy Spirit where we go. How will I know? Then the name of Jesus will be lifted up and you will know that you're exerting the influence of the Holy Spirit. We don't live desperately in our culture, desperately in the landscape. We are being influenced and influencing the world in light of Jesus Christ through what he's doing. You guys are going to start saying amen eventually. Your home is not desperately broken. Your relationships are not desperately broken. Where you go, you are being influenced by the Holy Spirit, and you are influencing. And it's time that we recognize that the presence, wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy Spirit is to call you to be an influencer. That's why you can see where God hates gossip. Why would you gossip? You have the Holy Spirit. You can play a part in fixing that relationship. That's why God hates lust. Why would you be selfishly called? Why would you be so selfish? You have the most intimate thing you can imagine. Why would you hate? You have the most intimate love ever. You hated God and he loved you. 
Can you see it? List any sin you can imagine. You can see that the presence, wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy Spirit is intended to transform that into an opportunity for you to embrace and to proclaim Jesus Christ. And in light of that, we should be a hopeful church to see forgiveness, grace, reconciliation, and proclamation happening because we have the very light of life, the Holy Spirit, present, gifted to us just as our faith was. And in light of that, I pray and expect, as I hope you do too, to see real radical change happening among us and ultimately the places where we are called to be influencers. Let me pray for us. Father, what a beautiful picture, what a gift given to us from Jesus Christ. By faith in him, we receive forgiveness. We accept him as our Lord, Savior, and King, and he has promised us the presence of the Holy Spirit, wisdom to live in light of that, and that we are known and that we know you. No higher gift could we imagine, but in humility we accept them because no gift could we ever think we deserve. Father, would we begin to have hope within our hearts, within our families, within relationships in the church and the world, that Jesus Christ's name will be lifted up. Even if we are the only one who possess the light of life in certain circumstances, we should have hope. Father, if we have lost that hope, refresh again within us the presence of the Holy Spirit to remind us that we are known and that we know you. And as we worship now, would we do so hopefully? As we take the Lord's Supper, would we do it expectantly with your presence? And will we forever have thankful hearts for what you have done through Jesus Christ? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.